0: Hello and welcome to the Future of Australia podcast. Here I interview the entrepreneurs running the fastest growing businesses in Australia. These interviews will be around the themes of entrepreneurship, new ideas, business, innovation, capitalism and successful enterprise being the motor that will drive Australia forward. I will be telling the stories of the people who are making it possible and as they grow and strive further will become a bigger and bigger part of Australia's future. My name is Derek Stewart, your host and the founder of Future of Australia. Check us out at futureofaustralia.com to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter, get exclusive content and ensure you never miss an episode. For questions or comments, email me at Derek, D-E-R-E-K, at futureofaustralia.com or you can call or text me on 0404-689-897. Welcome to Episode 2 of the Future of Australia podcast. In this episode, I interview Lambros, the founder of Station 5, a bespoke software development agency in Sydney. We discuss how he built the business up while at university, going from being a contractor making a wage to an entrepreneur with half a dozen full-time staff and now hiring employee number 10. Hear how they grew by 386% last financial year, making Station 5 one of the fin Review 100 fastest growing new businesses in Australia, on track to do $700,000 in annual revenue. We cover how a pivot in his business model propelled the growth and the unglamorous realities and hard work of entrepreneurship which are sometimes glossed over in the media. If you are a mid-market professional service business in Sydney and interested in how automating business processes can provide better insights for decision-making, save time and reduce admin costs, check them out at station5.com. That's S-T-A-T-I-O-N-F-I-V-E.com. Um, so I'm here with uh, Lambros, the CEO of Station 5. So Lambros, can you... Um Tell us a bit about what you were doing before you started the business. Um, sort of, What did you study? What types of uh, jobs or work did you do before you, um, you started the company?
1: Yeah, sure. So, before Station 5, uh, I was kind of doing two things. The first was I was studying full-time, so uh, effectively up until April this year, 2017, I was studying um, full-time at university uh, and started the business while I was at uni. And uh, at the same time, prior to starting the business, uh, when I say at the same time, it, well, at the same time as as uni, uh, while while starting the while studying, I was actually working as a contractor for various different digital agencies around Sydney. So studied for about six years in total, uh, two degrees, and um, yeah, for the first part of that I was working as a contractor. Then after that, started the agency.
0: So. Um... Was that something, were you sort of um, right as soon as you started university, you were sort of contracting and doing sort of um, a little bit of freelance work or um, was it something, when did you sort of first start um, sort of working while you were studying?
1: I actually started towards the end of my first year. So being there six years, um, I could say I was going to be there for a while. So I actually started right at the end of my first year and then was doing that for quite a few years while I was at uni.
0: And did you find that I mean a lot of people talk about the sort of the challenge of um, finding work even once they graduate. So as sort of as someone who was still studying, um, did you find it hard to kind of get your initial first contracts, or how was that sort of experience getting your first few gigs?
1: Um, it was definitely difficult. I mean for me it was uh, a combination of LinkedIn and relationship building, um, actually starting off with relationships that I already had. Friends that I had at uni and projects that I heard were out there, and then use that to leverage a bit of work, and then you know further from there, um, you know responding to various different job posts looking for contractors on LinkedIn helped me to build a few relationships that I actually retain to this very day. Um, but it was it was difficult, also due to the age barrier. Um, I don't think it's actually a huge issue, but. Um, there's this. I think there's this misconception when you're at uni that you're too young to start entering the workforce and operating as a contractor, um, but once you kind of get past that, yeah, it does become quite straightforward, and you work out a, re- a repetitive process that works quite nicely.
0: Yeah, and I think that's also, like you said, it, there's sort of some people see it as being too young, or other people don't sort of even think ahead to sort of try out what they're studying. Like you said, if you're making a six-year commitment um to study it it makes sense to sort of start testing it um to see if you actually like the type of work which a lot of people only realize once they graduate that they don't like yeah exactly and I think that was the
1: issue is that I um I didn't actually study something that I'm now putting into practice so despite the fact that I studied engineering and commerce the engineering major was civil engineering so if I followed that I really should have gone into into structures uh but realistically yeah what I did was I moved into um into
0: software, which is very different to what I studied. So you were doing the software work while you were studying engineering, so does that mean sort of deep down you knew you didn't really want to do engineering, and or, or how did that sort of, um, was it just like an undergrad to, in order to get into postgrad, or...? So I, th- I think we might have cut out for a second there. I was just saying that... You, yeah, so, I think I lost you there for a second. So you were studying engineering, um, but straight away you went to sort of work in software. So was software more of a passion, and sort of engineering was just what you got into or what other people told you you should be doing?
1: Yeah, software was always a bit of a hobby while I was at school. Um, so even in high school, I was really interested in software and computers. And uh, in my first year of uni, I started to pick it up a bit more and uh, learn a bit more about programming in my own time. I made sure that one of my early electives at university was programming related and it gave me kind of a bit of a crash course on uh, fundamentals of programming that I then kind of used to build my skills further. So it was definitely a hobby prior to uni, but it was something that I did have to explore a lot in my own free time.
0: And did you find uh, the sort of the study helped your sort of work or was it more the other way around, the work helped the study?
1: just because of the time commitment, but in the reverse scenario, yeah, I mean, I guess you could say that course that I did at university was helpful in, you know, getting that fundamental learning around programming that I didn't have while I was at high school. And um, yeah, I, I also think just just generally when I was, you know, because I was studying commerce at the same time, just the general skills I was learning from a business sense were were really, really helpful. Majoring in finance really helped in in setting up things the right way, and setting up the correct business structure, and those sorts of skills, I was definitely applying firsthand as I was learning them. Um, but when it came to the engineering, I don't think there was a huge amount from the engineering that was that you could really take from civil engineering and move over to um, move over to the software side. So I can't say that particular degree was extremely helpful.
0: Mm. And then so you're freelancing, you're getting sort of probably some consistent and sort of recurring different gigs or, or um, uh, plenty of projects. Um, So you're getting plenty of projects. And then what sort of made you want to start your own company rather than just continuing to do uh, contract work or just being an employee? Yeah, sure.
1: I think at the start it was really just um, – I think at the start it was really just – bit of like something that seemed like a good idea at the, at the time, which is, I know that it's as ridiculous as it sounds. Um, I really felt that I had the ability to be running my own business. And from there, I started up station five. Uh, the purpose of station five was to really be doing web develop or well, specialize in web, uh, primarily in web development, but also to do web design and digital marketing. And so I, I guess I was really, um, so I was probably really motivated by the agencies I was working in. Just really gave me that um, that energy to want to start start my own thing. Um, obviously, the motivations change a lot over the first year or two of the business, um, and those motivations definitely aren't the same as what they were initially. Especially because we've moved away, the business pivoted a huge amount in the first year. But yeah, definitely. I mean, I was very, very motivated by those businesses I was working at and that's what gave me the push to want to do my own thing because I felt it was something that I could do and it was something, just business in general was something I was quite passionate about.
0: Yeah. So, so you mentioned um, that the sort of the motivations changed maybe before you started the business versus once you were sort of 12 months in and, and sort of pivoting the direction a bit. Can you go into a bit more detail about that?
1: Yeah, sure. So working in, so with the focus being You know, web design, web development, um, web development being the programming element, and then digital marketing. And it was through doing so much web development that I realized or I started to learn what was emerging in the market was that the typical idea of a digital marketing company existing that could, quote unquote, do it all was really starting to disappear. And there was this huge emergence of, you know, software specific companies, which obviously existed to a degree as it was. I'm certainly not saying that's something that only cropped up two, three years ago but it was something where um, web was really moving away from digital marketing companies and moving into its own behemoth with, with software. Um, and so it's from there that I started to branch off the business into one that did purely, um, purely software development specializing in web and then later mobile primarily because that's where my own motivation was, that's where my own passions were and that's what I did from you know, an early age so naturally I started to pivot the business into that, into that
0: direction. Okay. And, and what about the sort of the motivations? Do you mean sort of your reason why you started the business versus what sort of keeps you motivated to grow it now has also sort of evolved? Yeah,
1: I think that, um, I think at the start it was really just about having a, having an agency and, um, you know, operating Australia-wide, and, and that was that was kind of the dream. Was, I don't, I don't, actually, I don't think that was a tremendous dream. I think I was just really encouraged by the people I was working around, and that motivated me to start the business. But now it's certainly different. I mean, it went through several iterations of changing, and I think everyone's motivation when running a business needs to, to some degree. Otherwise, as soon as you start to achieve something, suddenly the business plateaus. Um, I know at this point it's very different, to me, it's mostly around, um, you know, we're starting to move very much into the machine learning space, and so naturally, um, being heavily software-driven company, um, you know, f- for us it's it's now, or well, for me, sorry, it's 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 about um, it's about being able to offer value back to businesses using machine learning. So that's the space that we're currently moving into. But it's something where I see, you know, something it forms a bit more of like a five-year plan as opposed to a you know six or twelve month plan which is what what there was before and so from a from a motivation point of view there's definitely a much longer motivation than there was before
0: yeah definitely so so I wanna come back to that point on uh, machine learning and the other sort of trends, but I also want to touch on the fact that so in the last financial year company's grown, you know, four hundred percent, which is why we've been on the the uh, Fin Review Fast Starters list and you know, so you've four X your revenue in, in a year and, and it looks like now you're doing over seven hundred thousand uh, turnover. Um, so, can you go into a bit more detail, kind of what triggered this growth and what was the experience like? You know, growing four times in a year, which is, you know, huge. Yeah, um,
1: I guess what triggered it, um, you know, that shift from the, the shift from digital into like digital marketing uh, into purely software, the software focus, I think, was a big one. I think naturally when you niche down, there's this misconception that you're closing yourself off through a lot of business, um, but I saw it as a necessary manoeuvre that needed to be done. So I was actually willing to take a bit of a hit this last financial year, and then obviously things turned around completely. Um, why, like, why did that happen? Um, I think the fact that when you're focusing, when you're focusing on one particular niche, when you're focusing on one thing, you tend to be a lot better at doing it as opposed to doing three things and doing them half-ass. You're doing one thing, and you're doing it very well. Um, you start to build up brand recognition as being uh, extremely good at that particular thing, and, and that's that's what I think really helped us to grow. Was that we were extremely focused on doing on on doing just software and not all the other noise. We removed all the other noise, and that that left us in a position where, from a sales perspective, we could be extremely focused. From an internal process perspective, we could be extremely focused. And so the efficiencies naturally started to come into play, and they're certainly not where they need to be, um, but you know, it was a huge step forward, and that's what really helped us to make sure we set up the right partnerships with the right companies, helped us to sell in a much more succinct manner, um, because we're only selling one solution, and it makes things a lot simpler when you're doing that, instead of trying to sell three solutions to, to someone. And, difficulty that has from a sales perspective in terms of the clear communication of what it is you do. Uh, so there, it's kind of an amalgamation of things, but I think that realistically it comes down to how the sales change, the sales process change, and how the internal process has changed as a result of niching down.
0: Yeah, and so you've, um, you've uh, had a plan to sort of shift the business a bit, like you said, to niche down and focus your efforts. And it's worked, and obviously a lot of extra business has come through. And then, what about in terms of sort of delivering on all that you know, new business? How was that sort of experience? I imagine you were about to hire more people and sort of scale up some of your other capacities in, in a very short time. So, so how was that sort of experience and journey of sort of, again, delivering on the growth once you've got it?
1: Yeah. So we, um, you know, at the, at the end of the last financial year. Um, we, this was the 2015-16 financial year. Uh, at the end of that financial year, I was still the only employee of the business, and anyone who assisted with the projects was a contractor. And at the end of the 2016-17 financial year, so that's the one where we achieved that growth, um, we've now grown up to six full-time staff. We actually just recruited 7 and looking for numbers eight and nine. So, um, you know, there's there's a... There's obviously been a huge shift in terms of, you know, trying to veer away from using contractors, building an internal team with internal culture, and that's really how we've started to really make sure that not only are we pulling in the work, but we're also fulfilling it. Is by having dedicated staff who um, are just as passionate about the outcome of the business as I am, and that's, that's what I believe is, is helping us to make sure that, you know, we're continuously delivering on projects
0: yeah and I imagine that would have also been a learning curve as well for you having to you know hire and manage people was that the first time you had sort of done that, or in some of the agencies were you um part of the hiring process or no
1: not at all no it's something that I've really only done now um, I've been forced to kind of learn on the job um, but i've always you know I've always been someone who's gone and done additional courses and educate, educated myself when i've needed to um various different entrepreneur courses and and that sort of thing. And, um, you know, that's really helped me. And also in my latter stages of university, I um, decided to do a minor in management just to learn as much as I could from a university standpoint, from a theoretical standpoint, as to how to approach these sorts of things. Because when I was finishing up there, um, it was something that was becoming very prevalent was something I needed to know. So, yeah, there was obviously a huge amount that I needed to learn. And I didn't just take it upon myself to Assume I knew everything without actually going out and learning. So I did. I did put in the time to learn what I needed to, so that I could take it to, to this step.
0: Yeah, and when you were sort of so running the business, but using contractors at that point, were you already focusing most of your time on sort of you know the sales and the client side of the business, or were you still doing quite a bit of the work? Whereas now, are you almost? You know, not sort of billing any of your own time and, and really focusing on the growing, bringing in clients and managing the sort of process and staff and that side of things? Yeah, so you fit the nail on the head. Yeah, so about,
1: um, you know, when I when I was operating as a one man band with a couple of contractors at that point, yeah, I was doing pretty much all the work and a bit of sales. Uh, whereas now it's, um, now I'm generally not putting pen to paper at all on the actual projects. Um, I'm really, my, my role is kind of split between. Uh, Project management and
0: business development. Yeah, which would definitely be quite a shift as well, on top of all the other changes. Um, So, so you mentioned you worked in some agencies, and then you wanted to start your own business, and you had been sort of freelancing and sort of you know um, doing a few different things, pointing you in a sort of entrepreneurial direction. and then how did you decide to... So it's a service business, essentially. You're creating software on behalf of businesses. Um, but did you ever consider sort of making your own software and being a software company and sort of selling that? Or is that a potential thing in the future? Or What are your thoughts on sort um, of those? Yeah,
1: we're actually, already, we're actually already working on that. So it's definitely something that I've uh, come to terms with as something that's necessary and a way that we can add value to more companies because obviously the problem with bespoke software is that A, it's bespoke, so despite the fact that it's custom, extremely custom, the problem or the shortfall is that you need someone to maintain it. No one else has the same code, which means that if there are updates, it needs to be updated on yours and yours only. Um, The benefit of product is obviously that you update um, a single product and everyone's software gets updated as a result, Um, and I'm I'm a big fan of that. And obviously, just from a business point of view, from a revenue point of view, it, it um, it makes a lot more sense to have product. Because the benefits that you can experience there, in terms of you know distributing that software to more companies, a much greater volume of companies, um, I do see a value in bespoke software. I definitely do. That's a huge part of what we do. Um, it's actually ninety percent of what we do. But I also see a you know a need for there have been there have definitely been one or two products that have cropped up as being necessary um, on that ML path that we were discussing earlier. Um, there's definitely there's definitely some need there, and it's a, it's an area that we've flagged, and we're now putting some internal R and D into.
0: Yeah, so so I'm glad you you mentioned the machine learning again because I think this is something it's sort of one of those things that people like the average business owner, or even employees, uh, um, you hear in the news a lot of different words being thrown around about. Everything big data, machine learning, artificial intelligence, you know, automation, robotics, all these sort of words are sort of thrown around very loosely, um, but not a lot of people are kind of, I guess, dig into what does this actually mean. And can you sort of maybe define a little bit about some of the type of machine learning type stuff that you're doing in terms of your business context and then? maybe discuss a bit your sort of thoughts on that and, and these other, because this is sort of, you know, where you're spending all your time, how your sort of opinion and perspective on, on how that's going to change things and where it's going. Yeah. I mean, at the start, I think that machine learning, obviously
1: being part of AI, I think AI is uh, at its core, um, I think, it's, I think if it's if the wrong people are doing it, um, you can end up with applications of it that... Um, are actually quite disastrous. Um, Because you're writing artificial intelligence that can process tasks much faster than humans can, simply because they've got the server power to do it or the computing power to do it. So it's obviously a big, like, it's one of those kind of controversial topics at the moment where people feel like they maybe don't know enough, uh, but also don't realize simultaneously the amount of work that's going into pushing this forward. uh, Because the amount of work going into AI globally is huge. Um, In terms of what we're doing, I'm a huge advocate for not overdoing AI and not not make, not turning it into something that um, is uncontrollable by humans. Uh, but realistically, what we're trying to do is use it to drive business decision. So, really trying to provide feedback to business owners and decision makers within businesses uh, based on the analytics within their business, based on the information that we have about their business. So. Theoretically, uh, let's say you've got, say, accounting software, you've got payment software, you've got time tracking software, you've got lead generation or sales software. Um, a large part of what we do at the moment is integration or workflow automation software, which is tying these systems into each other. So automating processes within businesses is a large part of what we're doing at the moment with the bespoke so the, the bespoke offering that we have. Um, Whole application of the AI element would really be to provide feedback to the businesses and give those decision makers advice as to what they can be doing to better their businesses. Um, so it's really about, yeah, it's really about driving, helping helping decision makers to to kind of see opportunities or to flag opportunities that they may have otherwise missed uh, that we can pick up on because we have access to much more data than the human brain can can compute.
0: And, and then you're turning these into like a, a sort of reports or a dashboard or some sort of visualization or, or what's sort of the output once all these things have That's been sort right, of connected? Yeah.
1: So you get access to a dashboard and with that dashboard you're able to understand through um, yeah, visualization and through reporting what sort of shortfalls are in the business or what, what business, business business owners or decision makers should be, should be keeping an eye on.
0: Yeah, and so you've mentioned AI and sort of I guess the good and the bad, so I mean obviously there's broad implications and and things that people are talking about. Um, But sort of in in the next maybe, let's talk sort of six months, in the next sort of six months are there certain things, like you've mentioned, you know, the the interface between like, you know, employee time sheets and accounting software and a lot of people are still doing that manually and and all these other little things which kind of have a, a person in the middle at the moment because two systems don't talk to each other well. Are there any things that you think sort of, yeah, six to 12 months away, it will be like the manual version will kind of be gone and it will just be, you know, standard to have it sort of an automated solution? I
1: think, I think for something to become standard in six months is way too optimistic. <laughs> um, but, but realistically, yeah, we're trying to produce this saying that within six months we will be saying that we can theoretically roll out um, to any company that wants to start doing it. Obviously, to get something mainstream, it takes a huge amount of time. Uh, but, yeah, in the, in the long term, that's the ambition. In the short term, though, it's about producing a product that we can go out there and sell to companies that are otherwise already selling to to automate these processes. So not so much mainstream just yet, but it's definitely something that we will have an initial version for people to start using uh, by about mid-next year.
0: And have you found a certain sort of area that you sort of... Um you're getting a lot of demand in or a lot of people sort of talking about Is it sort of finance processes? Is it um, certain types of reporting or certain aspects, like you said, lead generating and the sort of marketing automation? Or or, or where are you sort of seeing the most um, interest at the moment? Yeah, I wouldn't
1: touch marketing automation, not at the moment at least, because I think everyone's doing it. And I don't think we can add a huge amount of value there because there are so many companies doing it that there is already a tremendous amount of value being added to that industry. Even in the reporting space, there are quite advanced tools to be able to make sense of marketing data and to be able to do something with it. Um, and you'd also be taking on companies like Salesforce, which is quite tremendous, and they're obviously putting a huge amount into this as well. Uh, where, we, where we're really coming in is more around the financial side, the business side, so our product is not about helping uh, B2C companies. Uh, our product is more about helping B2B companies so it's about going into legal and accounting firms for instance and providing feedback to them.
0: And like we mentioned uh, just a minute ago about sort of you can have a solution but then obviously the adoption of that and sort of being common is uh, you know takes a lot longer like even just you know moving to um, a certain type of software even if it's fairly similar to what people doing before can be a long process and some people will never really adapt always do things manually but um what are you finding sort of maybe you're doing in some of these uh accounting and, and legal environments which people maybe wouldn't even know are really sort of possible or would, would be surprised how sort of um the, the type of things that you might be doing
1: yeah right so you're saying are you saying purely in the automation space or you're saying when you combine it with a machine learning
0: um, well both, for the different things that you're sort of working on or some of the projects I suppose that you're delivering for your clients that someone who hasn't looked much into this might be you know, surprised to even hear that's possible and, and know that you're sort of already at that level and delivering on those type of processes or again uh, solutions. Yeah sure, so the workflow automation. Um
1: Workflow automation would really, as I said, it's it's more of a bespoke solution and it goes out to mostly legal and accounting firms, mid-tier firms in in Australia. What we're doing for them is effectively creating a solution that is directly for their business, that ties together their systems. Uh, An example would be, say, combining... um, you know, legal software like Leap, for instance, combining that with time tracking software or other time tracking solution they're using, and then tying that in with uh, the high-end accounting software that they're generally using. Uh, and in combining those different solutions, we're generally able to, I mean, theoretically, without getting into too much de- into too much detail, uh, what we're able to do is to merge the data from those systems to understand, or to help the business owner to understand which of their clients Uh, are the most profitable, uh, which are best staff for producing the best outcome, Um, the interaction between staff and clients, and which staff interacts best with which clients so that they're managing. Uh, So it's really about just bringing all this information to the business owner's attention. And then on the flip side, what is it doing for the staff? Primarily where we can offer a huge benefit from a time-saving perspective and an efficiency perspective is for the admin staff at these businesses. So it's about... Automating the process, say, one process we've automated quite a few times is um, at the end of each month automatically pulling the uh, time that was tracked within the time tracking software, the billable hours, pulling that into the accounting software, automatically generating an invoice, automatically emailing that invoice to the client, and then once that's done, uh, once the payment has come through, automatically reconciling that line item for tax purposes in, in the accounting software to get ready for tax time. So that whole process uh, we've automated several times now for various legal firms, um, and it's, uh, it's a very straightforward process for us. But from a, from a time-saving perspective, obviously a huge benefit to admin
0: yeah no I, um I think that it's really sort of um, a, a really good example of where you're taking something which is done i guess you know millions of times across all these different sort of professional service firms sort of more broadly that anyone that sort of builds on time and and uh, does all those things manually but yeah for your clients that are forward thinking enough to sort of engage you you're creating all this not just the big time-saving, but like I said, also the visibility and sort of analytics on um, staff and clients and profit and just a huge amount of insight, um, which they wouldn't have otherwise been able sort of to do or had the time and capacity to sort of even evaluate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so I think it's a very interesting space, and, and it obviously it's reflected in your growth as well, and you've sort of found a very good niche, and there's so many broad applications, but you're sort of... Uh, starting to to build a reputation in that sort of area, which is good. Um, So so stepping back in sort of a little bit into the bigger picture, um, you know, you're working with business owners, you're a business owner and, um, you know, what sort of trends do you see in sort of entrepreneurship in Australia, you know, what do you think Australia is doing well in entrepreneurship and, you know, maybe where is it behind other countries? Yeah, sure to say is very hypocritical <laughs> <laughs> that's okay but I think I
1: think that I think that um I think entrepreneurship in Australia is at a, at a great place because there's a huge amount of traction there's a huge amount of attention it's becoming its own kind of behemoth um at the same time I think that a lot of a lot of people are getting into entrepreneurship because it seems like the, the fun thing to do or the, the great thing to do and it's the way of getting out of a 9 to 5 job which I think is a huge mistake <laughs> um you know, I, I, I as, as I, said, as I mentioned earlier, you know, starting the business for me was was really about the fact that I was inspired by the by the business owners, and I think that's what really drives a lot of people are uh, to start their own businesses. Um, but at the same time, I think there needs to be a deeper motivation than that, because um, I think that disappears, as it disappeared for me. It's something that does disappear. It is, what's the good? The good is it's definitely a big industry. It's receiving a lot of attention. Um, you know, it's receiving a lot of attention from the events that are popping up, from the organizations that are popping up to support it, from what the government is doing to support it as well. The bad, I think, is that there are too many people getting into it who probably shouldn't be there in the first place um, because I think they see it as an escape from 9 to 5. Um, but realistically, if you're doing entrepreneurship and you're doing it right, Five are actually really good hours. Um, you're looking more at like a, I think a minimum of twelve hours a day, consistently working weekends. Um, it's a it's a tireless effort, and you know you were talking earlier about our growth. You know the growth didn't come with you know working seven or eight hour days. It came with working you know fourteen hour days, working weekends. Um, I think that there's I think there's a certain amount of drive that needs to be there, and I often get concerned that. Perhaps a lot of people are entering entrepreneurship because it seems like the fun thing to do, but I think that realistically, it's um, you have to be a little bit foolish to get into it. Um, I think you have to be really foolish to get into it, and it's not as glamorous as I think the, the top one percent of entrepreneurs in Australia are making it out to be, um, or the ones who at least have a public profile. Uh, it's a very, very difficult task, and um.
0: A little bit crazy to get into it, to be honest. Yeah, and no, I think you're right. It's definitely, it's a sentiment I agree with, and I hear a lot of people talking about that there's sort of the highlight reel of entrepreneurship sort of that's been shown to people, which is the people maybe they've already made it, they're already sort of, uh, you know, living large, and they're talking in hindsight about the ups and downs, but they've sort of... Um, you know, they've almost come through the other side and they can sort of live on their private island or, or do whatever they want to do now. Um, but they're sort of they're skipping through all the years where they were sort of not taking a salary, like you said, working 14 hours a day, six plus days a week. Um, and if people get into it looking at the end destination or thinking that it's an easy way to sort of have this bigger lifestyle and, and more freedom, it's sort of skipping the reality and the grind of sort of decades in between that, uh, that goes into it. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think a lot of people
1: are looking at like Elon Musk as like a big entrepreneur at the moment as someone who's, who's really made it. And they kind of see, you know, him doing various interviews and whatnot. And, and, you know, speaking about the fact that he's a visionary and that naturally inspires other people to want to be visionaries, even though they don't know what they want to be visionaries about. So it's really, it's really quite funny. Uh, what people don't realize is that, you know, not only was he working ridiculous hours at the start of PayPal to make, to kick that off. Um, you know, it's something that he still does. You know, follow him on Twitter. See the hours he works every day. You know, he's working sixteen plus hours a day. Uh, when Tesla, when Tesla's production line slows down, he's still out there working ridiculously hard to make sure, alongside his engineers, to make sure that you know Tesla's doing all they can to achieve to achieve production line challenges. And these are things that he's still doing to this very day, even though a lot of people see someone like him as living now a very um, extravagant life and someone who was a visionary is someone who still works tremendously hard. And you see that, you know, 20-minute interview where everything looks glamorous, but realistically, you know, behind closed doors, it's it's extremely tiresome. And these guys generally tend to not stop working um, and go and live that high life because they still believe there's a lot of work to be done.
0: Yeah, I think his, um, his biography, I think Ashley Vance wrote Elon Musk's biography, and that's a great read, and like you said, it demonstrates just a... I mean, I don't want to say superhuman, but if you sort of read that, it, it's sort of the level of intensity and work ethic and drive, um, and, and again, that he still has to this day, I think would sort of shock uh, most people who thinks that he again, it's about sort of giving speeches and doing these little things But not realizing how hands-on he is and, and what it's like running multiple companies and and just Giving your whole self to it and obviously the the other parts that aren't talked about obviously the sacrifices in other parts of your life to to achieve such a high level in one narrow part, but um but you're right there's a few where it's sort of informations there but as well maybe people don't almost don't want to sort of hear that and read that because then it's it's a bit intimidating and scary to know just how much goes into it and how um how long it takes as well um like in the book as well it mentions all the sort of failures and how close he got to basically being you know bankrupting himself and all the companies as well as losing his funding or um you know losing the whole product and the deadlines and the pressure and those parts are often sort of unless you sort of really look into it and read up about it it's easy to get the wrong idea about what's involved yeah that's exactly right all right so um uh what would you sort of say to someone maybe who who's sort of you a couple of years ago where maybe they're studying software development or maybe they're not but it's a hobby of theirs and again it's it's quite sort of popular and everyone's talking about sort of coding and how valuable it is and, and they don't, sorry, and, and they don't know sort of, you know, do they want to work for a big company like, a, you know, a Facebook or Google or do they want to start their own thing sort of like you've mentioned to assess your motivations. but. But what else would you sort of say, um, having gone through that path and seen the agency environment, now being an employer of, you know, developers, what sort of advice would you give someone maybe who's 20 years old and, and sort of not sure, interested in coding and software, but not sure what direction to sort of pursue? Yeah, sure. I think there's
1: definitely a huge value to working for the large organisations. Um, I tend to quite like that when I'm recruiting because I think you see you see... How applications scale over you know hundreds of millions of users, and you just won't get that anywhere else. So I think that that, that skill set, those soft skills of seeing that, working in that environment in a large organisation, that you only get it like a Facebook or a Google or a Microsoft or an IBM. Um, I think those sorts of skills are really really vital, and there's a huge amount to be learned there. So I I definitely say that's a, that's a good first step. Um, In terms of longevity, I think it's about aligning with a business that, you know, is doing what you are naturally motivated by. So once you get past the fact that, okay, it's all well and good to learn software, as a software developer, I think it's very wise to find a business that aligns with your own vision, um, aligns with what you want to achieve as an individual. So, yeah, I'd say first step, work for a large organization. Do a year or two there, and then start to branch out into something that, you know, offers offers something that's a bit more fulfilling if
0: you're not getting that from a large organisation. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. And as well, even you know, like even if they're going to work in a more small entrepreneurial environment, such as uh, what you've created, and again, often the clients are going to be the larger companies, not that large, but again, like a large professional services firm. Um, so you sort of need to understand the challenges that you have, maybe managing hundreds of staff or, you know, all these different processes, which if you've only worked in very small environments, uh, you wouldn't necessarily even understand why it's an issue until, like you said, it scales across, you know, people, or locations and, and sort of, um, yeah, the problems that larger companies even face that, you know, can yeah, then right. be solved. Yeah, exactly. All right, and so, again, it's a fast-changing field and you've done one sort of big uh, redirection in your business that sort of worked out well, but um, you've mentioned a bit about sort of future vision and goals and, and, and where do you see the next sort of five years of uh, Station 5? I
1: oh, made a Word document I'm working on right now, so I'll tell you this <laughs> with very fresh information. Um, we're actually putting together a deck to um, to formalise all of this or at least to make sure there's a bit more Focus on it. Um, a bit more of an underlying plan than there previously has been, because I think for the first two and a half years it was very much, um, you know, going into things head 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 on, and now it's more about structuring a plan that we. Follow, or at least follow to some degree. Where do I see the business going in five years? Um, okay, cool, so obviously the next year is really much about taking this workflow automation and pushing that further and moving away from like your standard web and mobile apps, which are doing a large part of still, still the bread and butter of the business. So it's about moving away from that and moving more into the workflow automation and doing that uh, much more than we are at the moment. So turning it from something that's about 30 to 40% of the business into something that's more like 80 to 90% of the business then from there, obviously constructing that internal and internal product. The whole idea of the internal product is to make it so that instead of these workflow automation tools that we're building, being bespoke to make sure they're much more plug and play within a business. Um, From there, expanding our, uh, our foothold in the industry of, of being a bit more kind of driving the industry forward from a technology point of view. So we want to release a huge amount of open source software. So we're currently planning around what that open source software is going to be. Um, And then the final step would be um, moving into the AI space. Um, So with the AI space, it's about plugging into that workflow automation software that we build and making so that we can start providing informed business decision back to decision makers. Um, That's the crux of the foundations that we're laying throughout 2018. And then obviously, you know, moving forward to 2022, um, that's really going to be the focus of what we're going to try and push further and further
0: yeah, that that sounds great, and and again, you're doing some great work, and, and you're in a very um, interesting and fast-growing sort of space. So I'm sure you're going to have a, a really big future, and um, yeah, really looking forward to seeing what you sort of uh, what the future uh, looks like for you uh, as the technology and again your own business and sort of vision evolves. Yeah, yeah, mate, as am I. All right. Thanks a lot, Lambros, uh, for your time and um, for yeah sharing your story and your insights and uh, perspectives. Yeah, thank you, Doc. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. I would really appreciate it if you subscribe to the podcast in iTunes and leave a review. Better yet, tell a friend about it who you think may enjoy the content and get something useful out of it. Feedback, comments, likes or dislikes, you can reach me by emailing Derek, D-E-R-E-K, at futureofaustralia.com, or you can call or text me on 0404-689-897. Thank you.